Hello and welcome to Cast the Pod to Your Witcher. Since we're stuck in quarantine, we decided that we would do a few bonus episodes and specific themes of the show. Fair warning, this these these bonus episodes like are going to be both shorter and a bit more spoilery, and uh, therefore like uh, the usual policy that we're following of no spoilers beyond the episodes that we're referencing is not really going to apply here. But anyway, um, Erin, would you like to introduce what we're talking about today? Yeah, so uh, for these bonus episodes, we're uh, going to be sort of looking at individual themes that strike our interest as individual hosts. And uh, for me, one of my interests in in media is uh, queer theory, queerness, queer representation. Sort of, I'm the the token queer on the podcast. I'm bisexual, um, so for me, this is something that I'm I'm very sort of interested in and cognizant of. And one of the the things that has uh, come up in the the Witcher fandom more broadly, and I suppose it's been something since the books and the games as well, is the question of the relationship between Geralt and Yaskir, and particularly with the show and the way that Yaskir is portrayed, there's been some debate over whether the portrayal of the relationship constitutes queerbaiting or whether there is actually an attempt to change the nature of the relationship from the books and games to the to the show. So I thought maybe we could do just like a little chat about like what terms like queerbaiting and queer coding mean and how they're being applied to this particular subject um, and what we think about that. Because hmm. I think we did, we, we tried to go into some detail at the time when we were discussing the specific episode, the bath scene being the most prominent an obvious one that's generally pointed to. Oh yeah, no, we're, we're yeah. cutting all yeah. of that because it took it, it took lots of time in that oh, episode right, okay. so we had to cut all Yeah, of it's that. all cut. It's not only did it take a whole bunch of time, but then I realized that like half of what I wanted to say was stuff from like episode six. Ah, so right, okay. I couldn't really like talk about it without like violating our spoiler policy. So yeah, part of the thing with doing these bonus episodes is to just be like, we can talk about the books, we can talk about the games, we can talk about all of the episodes because it's just bonus content it's not within the sort of main line of Mm. discussing the the series which i think is good because it's really hard to talk about queer representation in the witcher without being able to talk about the books where there's just you know like a huge number of um queer characters varying degrees of sort of authenticity since we're not like you know implementing the spoiler rule like we can openly say that one of the main characters is bisexual so or it's actually not clear if she's a lesbian or bisexual but it varies. Was she? Well, uh, two at least, because Triss yeah, yeah, yeah. was uh, bad. Yeah, I remember this now, actually. At least, yeah. so we don't know. Yeah, yeah. She, it, it talks about it in... Um... And, I mean, Philippa is, like... Philippa is, is lesbian, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, she did have a long-standing relationship with Dykstra, so maybe by... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But she, she seems to have, like, ultimately made the conclusion that she's not into men. Yeah. And... Certainly by um... Witcher 3, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, Philippa's a lesbian, Triss is bi, Ciri's bi. Um, so there's a lot of representation of queer women in the books, but there's basically no representation of queer men, if I recall correctly. Apart from Geralt having a foursome with Bork and Taya and Vea. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if, like, there is there is any, there are any men. Um... In Season of Storms, oh, how, how far are you into Season of Storms? I'm not worried about spoilers, go ahead. Right, so the, the main bad sorcerer guy, 
hints that he would be gay in the right circumstances if it advanced his career. Um, oh, and he's a very... cool. So he's both a gay villain and gay for pay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, Yikes. Because he's, he's, unlike other sorcerers who portray themselves, you know, as quite wise and old for the sake of, you know, their career, he made himself look very youthful and beautiful and effete. Yeah, I remember um, this, actually. I thought that was a bit yikes at the moment. Like, mm. Oh, cool. So that actually brings me into something I wanted to talk about, which is sort of the distinction between queer coding and queer baiting and what these two different things mean and what the history of queer coding is. So one of the things that people are talking about a lot in the fandom generally is whether Yaskir specifically is a queer coded character. So queer coding is basically when a the subtext of how a character is portrayed is sort of meant not even necessarily meant to be interpreted but the creator has put some intention into creating a character in a way that is meant to be read as queer so this is like notable in like you know and i'm coming from a very sort of like western specifically north american perspective but this is like notable in literature from like at least the 1800s and in film um since sort of the the hayes code was sort of started being enforced in the 1930s and that was the film code that banned portrayals of basically anything that is deemed sort of immoral and just that alongside the lavender scare in the 1940s and 1950s which was a panic about lgbt people in in government jobs and the military in both the us and canada that led to suppression of anything that was visibly queer meant that a lot of characters could get subtextually coded as queer and ex- the queerness sort of could only be explored in that subtext but not sort of actually labeled as queer or actually portrayed openly as queer. Unfortunately, this does mean that a lot of villains get queer coded, which is why I was sort of like, oh no, when you're telling me about the main bad sorcerer in Season of Storms being the only sort of queer male character in the entire Witcher Mm. canon. (laughs) But in terms of like queer coding, this kind of also does lead to characters that are supposed to be villains being sort of then reappropriated sometimes as sort of um, campy, ironic figures of, like, identification. So I think, like, the most mainstream, most every single person has ever seen it example of this is Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Mm. Or The Babadook. (laughs) Oh my god, I haven't actually seen The Babadook. But that was more of a Netflix accidentally coded The Babadook um, movie. Of course, in the tags. In the tags as LGBT films. But though there is a really strong history of like um, of queer coding in horror films and in genre fiction. In fact, the Scottish Queer International Film Festival did a whole queer horror series last last year or the year before. So that is definitely a thing. Um, but yeah, the the I'm not even like a big Disney person, but like the first example I think of when I think of like a queer coded villain is Ursula because she was literally based on Divine, who is an American drag queen who mostly worked with John Waters. It was in, like, every John Waters film. Oh. Yeah, like, if you, like, Google a picture of Divine, like, that sort of drag queen character is, like, that's exactly what Ursula was based on. Oh, that's interesting. Not only is Ursula a villain, but then she sort of is often sort of ironically and campily then reappropriated as being sort of an interesting piece of representation, but also in a, but she's still a villain kind of way. But what's interesting is she was the first Disney villain to get a song. So, 
So that's sort of the definition of, of queer coding. So when people talk about sort of Yaskier being queer coded as a character, they talk about things like, you know, his handsiness with a naked Geralt in the bath in episode four. They talk about things like the way mm. he sort of like gasps and flutters his hands and, um, you know, <laughs> dresses very brightly and is a drama queen and um, is very sort of flamboyant mannerisms. Um so those, because of the way that characters have been queer-coded in the past, are things that when people see them in a character, they read them as being a bit of queer-coding. But this is problematic way of reading it at the same time, because while people who are doing that are doing that on the basis of wanting to see representation for our community on screen, there's a danger of saying, oh, this guy can't be straight because, which is... Well, yeah, I, I get that <laughs> in the sense that I'm quite you know, oh, you've you've met me, I'm quite an effeminate feet kind of guy, you know, I tend to wear quite, you know, I've got those Cuban heel spangly boots with the lightning bolts on them and very skinny <laughs> jeans and the very tight shirts and things like that. I'm coded quite often as being, you know, you know about like half a dozen of our friends, though, if you'll know, coded me as bi. They thought I was bi for a long ass mm-hmm. time um, just because of that sort of similar thing. But I think one of the good things about Yaskier is you can, as you can say, you can interpret it as one sense of him being a flamboyant, you know, man. Maybe he is, you know, bi or whatever. Or maybe he's actually just a different kind of masculinity. That it is perfectly healthy to be that kind of masculine and still be, you know, very, you know, comfortable in your heterosexuality sort of thing. Just but flamboyant. I think. Don't know um, if you're. Yeah, see, I do. See, that's the thing. I do agree. And I think there's like a danger to trying to read the things that have been traditionally used as markers of queer coding as always necessarily meaning that because it sort of makes a sort of restricted box around the way masculinity can be portrayed without it having to necessarily be queer. Mm -hmm. And I think that also bleeds into the way people talk about the relationship between Geralt and Yaskier and the way it's portrayed. Mm. Which sort of brings into the second term that I kind of need to define, which is queer baiting, which is unlike queer coding, where we're talking about sort of trying to, to code a character as, as queer to sort of provide some degree of exploration of sort of queer characters without being able to actually make that sort of explicit. Queer baiting is when like a show repeatedly hints at the existence of sort of queer desire or queer relationship between characters without ever fulfilling it, which is seen as sort of a cynical attempt to use queer audiences sort of desire for representation to garner attention without providing any sort of actual representation. Sherlock. So that's different from Sherlock, basically, yeah. So this is different from queer coding or queer subtext in that, you know, queer coding and queer subtext aren't done in bad faith, typically. Whereas the idea of both, if something is queer baiting, it's doing it intentionally in bad faith to kind of get attention without actually planning to fulfill the promise of the characters. And this is stuff mm-hmm. like when Disney says like, oh, there's going to be some like, you know, gay content in the new Beauty and the Beast movie. And it's like two seconds of dancing or, you know, that's <laughs> that sort of thing. So and like unlike queer coding or, or queer subtext, which can be seen as attempts to sort of smuggle in queer content where it isn't welcome. This is something that's sort of a recent issue because, you know, in the last 20 years, we've sort of come to expect that you should be able to portray portray queer characters openly without having to sort of dance around the will they or won't they, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, and then not fulfilling that as seen as sort of being bad faith. I mean, the worst example isn't probably isn't even Sherlock, it's probably Harry Potter, where like, 
J.K. Rowling, after all of the books were published, was like, oh no, Dumbledore and Grindelwald are totally gay, and then makes movies about Dumbledore and Grindelwald, <laughs> and they're not even gay in the movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's probably like the worst example of this recently. Yeah. It's so again the question of whether or not there's like a queer baitiness to the way the sort of relationship between these characters is portrayed is sort of an open question. I don't think there is because I just don't think we've seen anything from the writing team that implies the kind of like bad faith that queer baiting would like imply. And again, like I don't want to draw a box around like these are the kinds of portrayals that are okay for straight men and or these are the kinds that are only okay for <laughs> queer men and it's not okay for them to love each other without it being sexual or romantic. Like, <laughs> like I don't want to draw yeah. that kind of box around them as characters. Yeah, the main, like, um, I feel, you know, like, very self-conscious speaking about this at all, being a straight man, but, like, um, I think it's worth saying that, like, you know, okay, there's, like, you know, things like Yaskir going, oh, you just let strangers rub Camel in your lovely bottom, but... Um, like yeah and you know <laughs> See, these, yeah, these, th- are... these sorts of things obviously launch a thousand ships right like but yeah. um i think as as uh, you said last time we discussed this um like there is also a sort of clarity if you will that like Geralt and Yennefer are like the quote-unquote one true pairing of of the show and the series that sort of, that that like you know is reinforced by straight up like magic and things like that within within the universe. So that well, yeah, so, yeah. so 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 I just like perhaps like don't think that there's like a deliberate attempt to mislead people, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. The whole the whole scene, the bath scene, is number one. It's a reference to the games because it's that scene that went viral at the start of the game. And <laughs> that scene in the game is, of course, he's with Yennefer, and Yennefer puts a lobster in the bath. Like that's <laughs> the scene. So it's a callback to that. It's, it's, it's like the lobster oh, to Scorpion. Like, uh, yeah. I love her so much. <laughs> but this is the, th- the thing that's funny about it as well is that's Geralt having a dream. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is, that is an event. I love that that's what Geralt thinks life. about Yennefer. Geralt, that is just the thing that Geralt imagines Yennefer. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Oh my god. Oh my god, that's amazing. But um, I would I would agree like I would also agree that like you know part of when things are queer baiting is that they don't establish these canon relationships that leave people in perpetual hope. But like exactly the show is the show and the books are both very clear. Geralt and Yennefer are the canon couple. This is reinforced by magic and destiny, and there is no question about it. Everything else is secondary. So I think that that sort of absolves that as well. I do have some sort of questions about how much of what is in the actual script. So we talk about things like the, the you know, you just let strangers rub chamomile on your lovely bottom and uh, things about the sort of flamboyance of the performance around the bath scene and things about sort of the flirtiness of the way sort of Yaskier approaches Geralt the first time they meet and says the terrible line of, uh, you don't want to keep a man with bread in his pants waiting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what we have learned from so many interviews, both with like with the writers and directors and the showrunner and with Joey Beatty, is that he ad-libs constantly and they <laughs> just kind of let him. Um, 
So he said the entire, like, physicality of the bath scene, the directors just basically said, like, make the space your own, do what you want. And we know that he just ad-libs loads of lines. So we don't actually know what the intentions of the writers were, because anything that comes out of Gaskier's mouth, you can't actually trust that it was written down. It's impossible to tell if it's the screenwriter or Joey Beatty, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of which, he has been playing the pronoun game in his interviews, which is another thing that sort of set the fandom on fire about this whole thing. So um, to play the pronoun game is to sort of avoid discussion of sexuality of yourself or a character by never mentioning the pronouns of the people you're involved with. And there are kind of multiple interviews with Joey Beatty where he does this. So in one of the next Netflix interviews where he's asked about like, oh, you know, Yasker's a womanizer. He replies, and I'm sort of cutting this down because it's quite a, a long, a long scene. But he replies by saying this is something that he really wanted to make clear. He doesn't really like the word womanizer. He says, although Yasker enjoys the finer things in life, fine wine, fine clothing, fine company, yeah. being a womanizer is played out. He says he falls in love with everyone. He has such a capacity for love that he will be in love with whoever he's talking to, you'll spot someone and be like, I love them now as well. Mm-hmm. That seems very deliberate to manage to avoid yeah. for a whole <laughs> pair of sentences. Yeah. yeah, and then I linked you that red carpet interview where he does the same thing again. Where yeah. um, So in the London, at the London premiere on the red carpet, he he says and he this is he does this kind of weird thing the interviewer says tell me about yaskir and he says oh yeah he likes fine fine wines fine clothing and then he just like pauses for a minute like like he's catching himself and then says fine company mm. and then laughs while we're yeah answering. and then laughs <laughs> so um, i mean yeah yeah i know yeah yeah so i don't even know if there's like so i think there might be something that Joey Beatty as an actor is doing here that maybe it isn't even in the script given how much he ad-libs and how much it's his interviews that are yeah. uh, fueling this. That said, I was talking about this on my Discord server and asking the people there if there was anything they'd want mentioned. And one of them did actually one of them did actually find a tweet from one of the, the writers. So uh, Matt D- D'Ambrosio said when people were talking about during the quarantine watch party um, was saying, you know, reading the script for the first time, uh, he was really sad about how Yasker and Girl leave things at the end of episode six. And then in response to one of the fans, he said, you know, they should have kissed and said, he said, listen, I pitched it. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the writers are yeah. also fueling this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's also, I mean, if we're talking about episode six, there's also the, like, Jolene-ness of Her Sweet Kiss. Yes. You know the oh, Dolly yes, Parton yes, song, yes. Jolene? Yeah, so, I mean, for anyone who's not familiar, um, Jolene is a song that is by Dolly Parton, and it's theoretically her, you know, begging Jolene not to steal her boyfriend, but she never mentions her boyfriend through the rest of the song at all. It's just like, please don't steal my man, but then, or please don't take my man. But the rest of the song is just about her just, like, describing how beautiful and perfect and enchanting Jolene is. And there's... There's a real Jolene-ness to her sweet kiss, I think. And a lot of people yeah, in the yeah. fandom uh, certainly the early seem to think. Yeah, but... Kind of very strongly. Yes, oh gosh, I suppose we need to talk about uh, the early see, draft. Uh, you, you asked Lauren Hysterick on Twitter, like, whose idea it was to leave the early draft readable, wasn't it? Um, yeah, and nobody answered that. 
She did not respond, but she did say that it was the the intro mm-hmm. was Charlotte Brandstrom's idea. Well, that would have been interesting as well. So it was originally supposed to open with so you know in the middle of episode six, there's that um that little montage of Geralt and Yen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like yeah. all the times they've sort of like met up and had sex and left each other. A longer version of that was supposed to be the intro to episode six, according to Lauren Hisrich. That was her vision for it. But then the intro that we got, which was mm-hmm. Jaskier working on her sweet kiss, was Charlotte Brandstrom's idea. So she didn't answer my yeah. specific question, but I'm going to go with Charlotte Brandstrom. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, especially that early draft definitely suggests that the song reflects Jaskier's own feelings, not necessarily, like, just... I mean, we know that, like, canonically, Jaskier profits the shit out of, like, Geralt and Yennefer's love story and, like, basically sells it to the Northern Kingdoms via his songs. Like, so, like, officially the plot of that song is (laughs) that, clearly, but, like, also it clearly, like, reflects... Especially that early draft clearly reflects Jaskier's own feelings. Yeah, and there's... Definitely a way that the since we're doing sort of all episodes, all spoilers. There's definitely a way that Yaskier can be read in that episode as being like in a place yeah. of reevaluating his life choices. Um, in terms of like, Reg- he seems really Reg- dejected. Geralt's being horrible to him basically for the whole episode. And I mean, especially in that episode, it's like, oh, like maybe the Taya and Vale make better travel companions and. Um, you know, just like walking off on him while he's yeah talking about things to go see again, and like, um, you know, just being generally pretty awful to him. And then the the fact that he introduces himself to to Yarpin as Julian Alfred Pankrat seems to be like uh, maybe leaving thinking about leaving this particular mode of life behind. There's sort of a lot going on with Yaskier in that episode. That while you're reading the sort of Geralt and Yennefer love story, you're watching sort of the like. Heartbreak and abandonment of Yaskier. Um, yeah, if you want to sort of read against the green yeah. that way, hmm. <laughs> maybe circle back to something you said earlier. You said you're like, oh, I feel like a little bit uncomfortable talking about this as a as like a straight guy, but like that's actually what I'm interested in hearing from both of you because I mean I think like my position as like a bisexual woman is pretty clear in terms of like. I'm obviously looking for representation of Mm -hmm. bi and pan people in media, but at the same time, like, as a woman, I don't really have to worry about the same thing as you do in media in terms of people drawing boxes around what are portrayals of, like, sort of cishet masculinity that are acceptable without it. And I think I completely agree with what Bags was saying on this, in the sense that, like, I think a lot of the time, the media doesn't really draw good positive portrayals of male friendships that don't necessarily like reflect traditional male gender roles you know to the fullest you know mm-hmm. because like the the way the way i see it like i'm looking at like yasker and Geralt's relationship in the show specifically right is because the books are a kind of different thing entirely but uh, in the show in the show specifically like um i could just as easily believe that there is some sort of romantic attraction on Yaskir's part and that it is just a very close platonic friendship like like to, to me neither mm-hmm. neither sounds unbelievable i think yeah what the reason it mm-hmm. works as a dynamic is the fact that they're two um at least via the western conception of masculinity at different ends of the pole of masculinity where yeah. you have you know Geralt is this brooding warrior 
like super macho as um Aaron would describe as a himbo a bit <laughs> whereas Jasky or this you know an effete expressive you know colorful bright Geralt literally has white hair and black armor and um yeah. Jasky is wearing a red scale suit I mean, in the final episode he's in that's something Jasky sorry Joey Beatty rather uh said in that in that interview that you that you linked Aaron um which was that mm-hmm. Geralt is literally gray as much a uh, uh, as well as like um, metaphorically, mm-hmm. and um, and he then said, which what I found was very interesting, which is which that it is really interesting to play like uh, I can't remember how it phrased how he phrased it, but it was basically like to play an opposite to that, mm-hmm. which Yaskir very much is. Like if Geralt is the color gray, then Yaskir is the entire rainbow. Uh, yeah. Yes. And especially since you know. They've coded it, you know, witchers are unfeeling X, Y, Z, whereas Jaskier, yeah, Jaskier is all feeling. Jaskier is pure emotion. All emotion. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, it's worth saying that, like, there is very little media that um, makes it clear that it's permitted for straight men to be all feeling and all emotion. Mm-hmm. I think as well, actually, it might be worth um, bringing up that, you know, sort of, they're the way they approach their pasts and their history, you know, Geralt is right, insular and brooding and cold, uh, but he, ca- he carries all of this trauma, whereas Yaskier immortalises the story of him, but makes it much more poetic and romantic and cuts out a lot of the gristle and horror from it and turns it into ta- tales of, you know, nobility and her- heroism on the part of Geralt. You know, he always wins and beds the women and what have you. Talks according to your witch and, witcher no value plenty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, again, again, that, those are two different poles of dealing with, you know, this, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. As, you know, a super masculine blokey bloke, you kind of are told to internalise things and just get over it and man up and what have you, which is obviously what Geralt tries and fails to do in some respects, whereas Yaskur is just, oh, isn't it beautiful? Look, look at these wonderful memories we have. And also, let's broadcast it to the mm-hmm. entire Northern Realms via the media. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What's the point in secrets when you can have a good story out of yeah, it? Exactly, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> and I mean, you know, if you earn yeah. some money out of it as well, or like, you know, an award at the art <laughs> competition, you know, that's something, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, actually, that's a that's that that's like an interesting like sort of thought that um, neither the books nor the TV show so far really delve into Yaskir's past in detail. Like from the books, we do have we do have like snippets of like his experiences in Desant, right? But like there's like we we know very little of what he got up to in university, other that he other that he graduated with like their equivalent of a first. Yeah, all we really know about him from the books is that he's, you know, the Viscount of Lettenhove, that he's clever and did well at university, and that he just, he keeps yeah. getting in trouble for betting noblemen's wives, and that he is magical and charmed and werewolves leave him alone because his singing is so beautiful. That's <laughs> all we know. Like, I think it's I think it's worth mentioning here, guys, our listeners, that, like, we have a pretty convincing theory that, that Yaskir is a half-elf. Like, there, there is just too much magical yeah. shit that happens around him for, me to, for him to be just an ordinary human. And also, you've noticed that he doesn't age. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> doesn't age in the show, doesn't age in the books, doesn't age in the games. So. Definitely half of energy. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, what, until Season of Storms, we never actually met anyone who mm. actually knew him yeah. before. <laughs> and I only what really was how long season... ago he graduated from Oxenfurt? Like... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> uh, yes. So maybe that sort of big flamboyant energy is just big health <laughs> energy. Um... <laughs> Like, you know, like, um, all the half-elves we see in the series do really go, like, you know, either 0 or 100. Like, um, because they're either super, they're either super flamboyant <laughs> or, like, borderline sociopaths. Like, yeah. <laughs> people like Shiru and, um, what of Renfri's gang, what was his name again? Sivriel. Like, uh, you know, like, all these really violent types. And then at the other end, you have just, like, people who are just, like, having the best time of their life. So, you know. yeah. Oh gosh, it's probably worth mentioning that elven and half-elven women are, like, hypersexualized and often end up being yeah. prostitutes, but in the books, yeah. I mean, and then this is, I guess, sort of the, the thing with the portrayal of sexuality in these books is that, um, so in, in the books we don't get any canon queer male characters, and but then we get all of these bi-female characters, we get Ciri and Triss, and we get lesbian female characters and i mean there's like implications about a lot of a lot of the sorceresses in general and then yeah i don't really know how to how to approach that because of the portrayal of the larger sorceresses in general being yes well, tricky that might actually be something for yeah the bodice episode another episode <laughs> all right well thanks for for listening we're hoping to um keep producing some of these bonus episodes while we're in quarantine to release between our main episodes since we were getting pretty far ahead in recording those. It allows us to be a little bit more contemporary to sort of what's happening as well as to cover um, topics that didn't quite fit into sort of just a scene by scene discussion of the episodes and gives us a little bit more freedom to talk about the books and games without having to wait till we get to our episodes about those. So yeah, we've got a few more planned and we look forward to you joining us again next time. Our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Miloslav Kolar. And you can find us on Tumblr and on Twitter as at TheWitcherCast. Or you can email us at castapodtoyourwitcher at gmail.com. See you again next time. Bye.